Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories across the NBA with our local Locked On Podcast Network host. Today, we go to Brooklyn to speak with Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets about the Kyrie Irving scenario and whether it's going to be resolved, how it's going to be resolved, and what it means for the Nets. We go to Phoenix to speak with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns about why the Suns can win the championship this season. And lastly, we go to Chicago to speak with Matt Peck of Locked On Bulls about how the Bulls have looked in the preseason after all of their big acquisitions. Still coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. The NBA season is a week away from beginning. Preseason is going. We've got stories all over the place, so let's get stuck into that. But thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Let's get stuck into talking about the show, or talking about the teams we're going to talk about in the show. So now it is time to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Let's bring him in, the host of the Locked On Nets podcast, Adam Armbrecht is here. Adam, it's been uh, pretty busy times for Brooklyn over the last few days. Big news coming out, of course, that uh, Edmund Sumner was waived. How does this impact the Nets' title odds? Yeah, listen, you're going to want to keep an eye on the betting sites here because this could really be moving the needle here. You got Demboya, he gets shifted. We thought that could have been a key piece as well. So, you know, listen, you got to stay in touch with these things because these are these are pivotal moves for the Brooklyn Nets. On a slightly smaller note, it uh, it appears like the Nets aren't going to have Kyrie Irving available for all home games, plus games against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, plus whatever games he gets injured in during those road games. And the Nets are allowed to have Kyrie in the practice facility now, but it looks like they're going to accommodate this situation where he's in and out of the lineup. Steve Nash doesn't appear to believe that there'll be any change of mind from Kyrie, so... I guess we can, we'll ask the obvious question later on about what it does for their championship odds. But what does it do for your team team morale and team continuity where I won't say it's different rules set by the Nets because it's different rules set by the NBA and different rules set by the city and you know, the Nets are abiding by that. But everyone else is doing one thing and pushing in one direction and Kyrie's got his own personal stance on this, which is going to have an impact on the other 16 guys on the roster and all of the staff and everyone associated with that. So what do you think, or if you know, like what is the internal feeling here from, I guess, the players mainly and you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden, those guys towards you know, not having Kyrie for half the season plus and you know, half of each playoff series? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of maybe the, the bigger picture thing that gets lost here even a little bit. Even if the Nets are going to live with the circumstances during the regular season. If things don't change, specifically in New York, you could be talking about not having him for playoff series in home games. That That is obviously a massive piece of this. Uh, on the player and, and internal side of it, you, know, you had Josiah come out with the uh, conversation that he had with Brian Lewis for the New York Post. You have Steve Nash getting asked his questions. It seemed like the Nets were trying to put pressure on Kyrie Irving uh, to go ahead and get vaccinated, which would afford him to be able to be with the team in full. It doesn't look like that worked, right? Kyrie stood pat with it. And then if you listen to the, the most important players, obviously Kevin Durant said that's that's his choice. We're not, you know, he, he even he, Kevin Durant said, maybe I'm being naive, assuming that he's going to be here and be a part of it. He will be in some capacity on the road games. Harden basically voiced his support. Joe Harris said, hey, he's a part of the team. We support him. 
Um, the bigger picture to me is just in terms of the season games, and we said we'll get to the title odds, is now you're talking about running kind of two different yeah. squads based on where you're playing. And, and that's, I think, the biggest impact to this team is you're going to be looking at running two different types of offenses on a game-to-game basis based on if you're home or away. So, you know, that... that Issue may be too big of a word, but it's certainly not <laughs> the way you want to approach a championship season where you say, what's that other playbook that we run when one of our three best players is not available? Yeah, well, I guess they had experience with dealing with that last season when mm-hmm. those guys weren't available together at all, really. But yeah, the issue is, is like you know, Kyrie's not there. And then I, I assume it's going to be someone like you know, Bruce Brown that, that jumps into that starting lineup and replaces him. And of course, they're very different players. So the whole structure of rotations needs to, needs to change under that sort of situation. Um, but the way that the Nets schedule breaks down, like especially early, like they play two road games, then it's like seven, I think, home games in a row. So like the lack of continuity there, they're going to get into this rhythm of playing these games without Kyrie. And then he comes back and then there's a stretch where they play, you know, seven road games or six road games in a row where he's going to be then in the team. So it's it is, it's not just going to be in and out, it's which I don't even know which one's better to be honest. Whether it's you know, every second game is in and out, or whether he plays for two weeks and then sits for two weeks, and there's going to be stretches of both of those during the season, and it's going to be really tested early on when he has to miss you know, seven of the first ten games. I think it is. Well, and oddly enough, it's like then for that home game stretch, as you mentioned, the practice facility gets labeled a private business, so he can be inside of there. But so Kyrie Irving becomes a bit of a scout team player, uh, you know, on a game to game basis when they're at home because he won't be able to be on the court. And then again, you're talking about he's going to be able to practice with the team when you're at home, but you won't be able to utilize the value of those practices until you get yourself out on the road games. And obviously you mentioned Bruce Brown, probably the most likely guy to jump in there. It obviously does not hurt that you got what a lot of people around the league consider to be one of the steals of the offseason in Patty Mills, right? So the Nets are much better equipped from a roster standpoint this year than they were last year, whether it's injury or absence from these players, specifically Kyrie Irving. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's odd, man. It's a, weird, it's a weird set of circumstances. And I really thought, that the Nets were trying to kind of put this all-in, all-out line in the sand for Kyrie Irving, but it looks like it was maybe a bluff and it got called. Everyone seems to be supportive of Kyrie out in public, Steve Nash, Kevin Durant, but is there any, or are you getting a different read of that? There is a level of frustration coming from the Nets, just that they you know, know that they've got themselves in a position to be title favorites. And that might be jeopardized by by Kyrie's absence. Oh, of course. Yeah, listen, we just talked with uh, Matt Brooks, who works for Net Daily. He's there in all the media sessions for the Brooklyn Nets. And you know, he referenced going back to last year when Kyrie missed time and kind of just went away, never really got a full explanation on it, and then returned to the team. Um, you know, His indications were that the team was not happy about that back then. So this is a bit of a carryover from that. In terms of the, the impact, I, I, listen, We always say these are apex predators when you talk about Kevin Durant, James Harden. It it is about winning championships, winning basketball, and everything else, friendships. That all comes secondary to that goal. So it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts as the season moves along. If they're winning games and it's all relative, that might be one thing. But you are talking about wear and tear on players, and, and that's going to hurt you in the long term. That's a direct correlation to Kyrie not being available. So... I, I think right now, maybe it's okay, but at least from an organizational standpoint too, those extension talks, I think those are clearly pulled off the table now. That was something they anticipated getting done before the season started. I think organizationally, they're taking a little bit of a different look here when you talk about the big picture beyond what the current contract is with Kyrie. 
Well, if you know, he's going to remain unvaccinated and New York is going to maintain this law, I don't think there's any way that they can offer him any no. sort of extension. Like you, you, just, you can't do it. So that brings me to, I guess, the last point here. As we hear it bandied about from NBA people across Twitter and, and websites and all that sort of stuff, and I don't think there's much to it, but would the Nets entertain trading Kyrie Irving? And if they did... Is this is this situation of him saying, "Well, I'm just going to retire"? Like, is there any reality to that? It feels like there might be. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a reality to if you said we're going to send you out to the West Coast, right? Part of the reason why Kyrie came to Brooklyn, at least uh, from his comments, was he's from New Jersey. He likes being close to home, close to family. So, if you're going to try to send him somewhere else. He at least publicly is going to make the statement, I would just as soon retire, and that's going to scare off a lot of suitors. I don't think there's a lot of traction to it, but as we know, maybe the other will call it situation in the NBA is with the 76ers and Ben Simmons. That's close to home for Kyrie Irving. Maybe they would entertain that idea. Um, but again, you know, NBA-wise, teams do not like to trade within the same conference. They don't want to offer direct competition, a leg up when it comes to competing for championships. So I... I I don't see anything coming of it, but of the of the two, I think it's more likely that Kyrie would say, no, I'm good. I'm going to walk away and focus on my off-the-court endeavors as opposed to maybe go play somewhere else. And I just don't know what the market looks like around the league right now and, and realistically what the Nets would be getting back in return. It is a really interesting story. We'll see how it develops and see if there is any budge from... I guess the the New York City laws from Kyrie Irving and his stance and what this means for the Nets throughout the season. Adam, everything that happens with Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving and the whole team will be covered by you and Doug over on the Locked On Nets podcast. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks as always, Josh. If you're looking to start a fantasy basketball league with your friends from work, from school, whatever it is, Sleeper is a new app in the fantasy basketball game. They have a points-only format that they run out there, plus their exclusive game pick format, where you just pick one game per week for each player. Don't No need to worry about how many games each player plays during the week. Much like fantasy football, you're just choosing one game for the week with their points-only format. So if you've got people who are new to fantasy basketball, casual NBA fans, and they want to get into a fantasy league, Sleeper might be the one for you to choose. So go ahead, download their app. Check out how beautiful the draft room looks, how easy the interface is to use. The chat function's fantastic. They've got so many different options through that app. Download it, get your friends together, corral them all in, get a fantasy basketball league started and start it over on Sleeper. This might sound familiar. You've got one device where you watch your live sports. You've got another that watch you, lets you stream your favorite shows. And then you go and watch your highlights on your phone. And then you've got your neighbor's login for something else, like for the other good stuff. There's just so much hassle and so much clutter. And I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It is called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, shows, and movies all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can find out more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required and content varies by package. All right, so let's bring him in now. The host of the Locked On Suns podcast, Brendan Clean is here with me. Brendan, the Suns, of course, everyone knows, made it to the NBA Finals, lost in six Last season, there is some people who will throw the narrative around, oh, they were just lucky. Yeah, everyone else just got hurt. And that's the only reason that they got there. But this is a team that was one game away from the number one seed in the Western Conference last year. They had their own injury issues in the playoffs with Devin Booker not being 100%. Chris Paul having a few issues through the playoffs as well. 
They're back. Of course, they don't won't have Dario Saric this season. But what's the? I don't know if rationale is the right word, but you know, where do they? How do they get better this season and go one step further? It's the debate that Suns fans have been having all year and all off season. I and I think I initially I think you come off of, of the playoffs and and the fact that like a player the caliber on offense of Drew Holiday was sort of the difference. The fact that obviously Giannis was excellent and maybe there was nothing you were ever going to do about that. But the fact that just getting enough from Holiday lifted the Bucks' offense overall, kind of fit everything into place. I think a lot of Suns fans came off of that final series feeling like the Suns lost because they don't have three or four creators. They don't have a Drew Holiday caliber guy offensively like the Bucks do, like the Nets obviously do, like the best teams in the league tend to have. And I think that was the dominant sort of thought process. I actually, the more that I've thought about it this offseason – and previewing the the year, the season on my own, on Locked on Suns and everything else, have come down on the other side of that, which is not to say that DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, some of the Suns' younger players getting better wouldn't help, because of course it would, and it would diversify things and, and open things up for the star players. But more than anything, I think that this is going to be a year for me where Devin Booker is going to kind of show us whether he's a player who will be a key you know 1a elite offensive engine in this league or whether he is somebody who and there's nothing wrong with this is more of a partner in crime to a player like a Chris Paul there's great great players who fit into that mold in the NBA but this year is going to show us whether it's Devin Booker is is that guy or the other type of guy and I think if he can prove he is excellent at being you know an elite offensive option every single possession in a playoff series that's going to be the the main reason that I think the Suns can be even better than last year. Because as excited as you might be about Bridges or Ayton, I just don't think that they're there right now. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the Suns is that we we know how good they were and they push into the finals. And people just think, well, Devin Booker must have been amazing, but he wasn't yeah at his absolute best, especially early in the season. And if this is the thing that's always frustrated me with people looking you know, surface wise at Devin Booker when he first came into the league. I look, he's, he's Clay Thompson. Like he's never been that level of a three-point shooter. That's just, look, he, what is he, like a career yeah. 34 or 35% three-point shooter? So there is yep. clear room, like because he should be a better three-point shooter. So look, if he came out and had a 40% three-point shooting season on seven or eight attempts per game, it's not outrageous to think that. He's never done it, but that is a clear area where that can get better. And he wasn't he wasn't at his best last season. So he the Suns did what they did without getting, I think, absolute peak Devin Booker. So I think that that's a key thing because people just assume, well, it must have been. Like Chris Paul is great, but must have been Booker being excellent. But he can be better than this. He can be much better than this. And that that's interesting to see how if that can actually work together. Now, on the on the flip side of it, Brendan, the contract negotiations with DeAndre Ayton, let's say stalemate or whatever that were there, the Mikhail Bridges contract situation as well. Is there any I don't know if the right word is negativity, but concern, I guess, that maybe Aiton... Because you know, Monty Williams came out and said something, oh, maybe we want Bridges to be our third option, which, of course, would push Aiton to be the fourth option. Does he you know, come out and go, well, screw you, I'm going to be better than this? Or does he become a little bit invisible as he was at times during the regular season? Is there any cause for concern that this you know, standoff, I guess, between management and Aiton might impact how it looks on the court? There has to be some level of concern. Um it was a concern even before 
the Adrian Wojnarowski report from last week that the the two sides, as you said, are kind of at a stalemate or or you know not really budging either way. Uh, Aiton wanting his max and the Suns not yet wanting to give that to him. I, I don't know if we get anything before the the pre, before the season begins that 18th no, October 18th deadline. And so yeah, I mean the fact that you already knew this is a player who the number one thing you could knock him on throughout his career so far has been the effort and the consistent effort and you know the I I don't even want to say the ability to get better overall because he's made leaps as a defensive player I mean he was pretty bad when he first came into the league and now he's somebody who I would expect to get all defense votes this season so he's excellent there but it's really that offense and and how does he fit and how can he create and all of those things so yeah third option fourth option these are all things that are going to affect um the Suns and it's hard to say we haven't gotten to talk to DeAndre Ayton here as media members Monty Williams was pretty frustrated that this even got out which I think you can pretty easily read the tea leaves that the side that leaked this was DeAndre Ayton's agent and and team because they want to put pressure on the Suns to pony up and, and pay this out so yeah it'll be re- it'll be lingering over everything it will be uh, a factor here as for Mikhail Bridges my kind of quiet hunch that has not been backed up by anything really is that that might already be done. And you basically can't relate, you can't announce that one while the Aiton situation is still looming. So I feel more confident that the McHale Bridges contract may already be finished or at least has had more progress made on it. Um, either way, it's going to be up to both of those guys, whether they get new deals or not to continue to have the level of fire that they had when they were, you know, chasing the finals. It's a lot different when you've, gotten somewhere and money and and playing time and role all start to be a much more of a conversation than they were when it was just you know feel good everybody's happy last question for you brendan like if obviously if chris paul suffers a drop-off or an injury they're in trouble or if ayton yeah, isn't as engaged as he was during the playoffs then it's not going to be as smooth but on sort of probably the next level down which one of these is probably more worrisome for the suns is it if jay crowder at you know, age 31, 32, if he suffers a regression in his shooting or the absence of Dario Saric being replaced by probably JaVale McGee, maybe Jalen Smith. Like, which one of those two is the big concern? A crowded drop-off or the lack of Saric who was anchoring those bench units to some really, really big numbers during the season last year? I think the answer is Crowder. Um and that was something that went under the radar because it, it just never happened. The fact that he was going to potentially drop off, he's always been a streaky player, yep. even prior to joining the Heat, which, again, I think is another thing that gets forgotten for him because it happened right before the pandemic hit. But he was on the, Me- the Memphis Grizzlies. He was not a very yep. effective and valuable player for that team. They trade him to Miami. Quickly thereafter, you know, the pause happens, and then he comes into the bubble and, you know, comes out firing. And so... If he will, if he were to finally drop off, which didn't happen all last season in Phoenix either, that would be a, a major um, downgrade, of course. Not not because the Suns don't have other players. I think Cam Johnson could easily step in, but just because overall your depth takes a hit if one of your players becomes a little bit worse. And I think that's the place that Crowder would get worse if, if he were going to. Um, Sharich, I just I will say mo- for a moment before we're, we're done here, he is very underrated i think as a player and he has grown a lot since coming to phoenix he also was very up and down last year for the suns he had covid he dealt with injury and was never able to really get his bearings he did look pretty good 
in the playoffs just in terms of physicality, toughness. He made his shots, he kind of filled that role in 10 to 15 minutes a night. But the, t- the team will look different without him. He's clearly nothing like JaVale McGee as a player. But I do just think, especially when you're talking about during the regular season, JaVale is probably a more valuable player overall than, than Dario will be, just in terms of you know trustworthiness, consistency, continuity. He fills the same type of role as DeAndre Ayton does. So I think you don't have to worry about that. And then come playoff time, it's you know can Dario Sharge get healthy and effective enough to actually be a, a role player come postseason time, or do they address that at the deadline? But the fact that we're talking about such granular things, I think – it kind of makes it clear how silly it is that, that there is some doubt about the Suns, despite, um, you know, you can make some excuses about their postseason run, but in the regular season, they were a bona fide juggernaut. I mean, they were the top six offense and defense. Like, this team is no joke. They're going to be the same way, barring injury in the regular season. Really, m- many of the questions we're going to be looking to answer during the regular season have much more to do with can they be different and better than they were in last year's playoffs than, you know, can they be a top seed in the West? Yeah, it is going to be something to watch for sure because, again, people forget how good they were during the regular season. Brendan, you'll cover it for us all through the regular season into the playoffs and hopefully for Suns fans into the NBA Finals. Again, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks, Josh. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Hopefully you know that already, but they are, they're just amazing. And they keep bringing out new flavors. Apple Almond Crisp is back at the moment if you want to get that one. Cherry Lime is a new flavor, but there's also the old standards out there. Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Orange, Strawberry, Cookies and Cream, Coconut, all these great flavors. But not only do they taste delicious, because they absolutely do, but they're also healthy. Four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs, 17 to 18 grams of protein per bar, and just 130 to 180 calories right across the range. And you can get these delicious and healthy bars at a discount. 15% off by using our promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. So head to built.com, load your card up with boxes of built bars. Maybe it's a mixed box. You get all flavors in there to try them out. Load it up, use the promo code LOCKED15 and save 15%. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. All right, so let's bring him in now. The host, one of the hosts of the Locked On Bulls podcast, Matt Peck is here. Matt, Chicago Bulls, have you printed up your NBA champions uh, 2022 t-shirts yet after their preseason showing? I I have not yet, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Um, You know, Bulls fans love to talk about the next rally in Grant Park because it hasn't happened since 1998. We're not planning a Grant Park rally yet, but I think Bulls fans feel pretty good about what we've seen through. Yes, you know, grain of salt, two preseason games against the Cavs, who are going to be bad, and a Pelicans team that was resting all of their key players. But that's something that the Bulls haven't even been able to do in recent seasons. My, my co-host, Big Dave, calls it bum slaying. That's what you saw in the first two Bulls preseason games. They were slaying bums. And, uh, I mean, I know people were worried about fit with DeMar and Zach Levine. For, for a couple of preseason games, it looks like that's not really a worry at all. Yeah, they've, they've looked great. Now, you said that Bulls fans aren't planning that parade. I reckon I know of a couple who might be uh, planning for a, for, a, for a seventh title already. There might be a few of those out there who may, may, may not have been planning for that seventh title for the last 15 years. But that's uh, beside the point. Now, that fit is interesting because they've looked great. I think Lonzo Ball has looked excellent fitting in. Alex Caruso has been great. But in terms of we worried, you know, who's going to get the ball? How does Vooch and Levine and DeRozan, like, who has the ball? So how has that looked? How has that offensive hierarchy looked so far through the preseason? Who is distributing? Who's taking a backseat? Who's becoming that number one guy? Well, I, I mean, I think the the good news so far is that it really isn't a hierarchy. It is a lot of sharing. Um, 
Lonzo has been such a welcome relief, as has DeMar DeRozan, because they both give Zach Levine things that he has not had in his Bulls tenure. DeMar can take pressure off Zach as a primary ball handler. You saw the way that DeMar improved his playmaking skills in his time in San Antonio, you know, averaging almost seven assists per game last season. Uh, but also DeMar can get those ISO possessions where he just hits his mid-range shots or gets to the free throw line. The Bulls were one of the worst free throw attempt teams in the NBA last season. DeMar is going to help Zach out in that department. And if the Bulls can get stops defensively, which so far, at least in preseason, they have been able to do, Lonzo operating with his court vision is going to give the Bulls those advantages in fast break and transition opportunities on a nightly basis. And, and it's a welcome relief for Zach Levine because it's not all on his shoulders anymore. We know that Zach Levine has a certain weakness when it comes to being the primary ball handler and playmaker in addition to being asked to score 30 points a night. That was the Bulls' MO for the last couple of years with Zach. Damar and Lonzo both offer him such welcome relief. And as far as the hierarchy, their preseason opener, Damar, Vooch, and Zach all had either 13 or 14 shots apiece. You know, Zach got to operate off the ball a lot more and was wildly efficient off the ball. I think Zach Levine's one of the happiest people on the planet right now, man. Yeah, because when, when he has the ball in his hands, like sometimes there is some questionable decision-making with turnovers and just you know what, sure. what he needs to do with distribution. But now he doesn't need to do that. He needs to cut, needs to get into the right spots and get him the, the ball at the right time, which, again, DeRozan and Lonzo will be able to do. And that's looked great so far. Now, I think some people or most people looked at it and went, okay, the offense, we'll figure it out. Like, we'll figure out how these guys fit. But defensively, like, De DeRozan's a gigantic target defensively. Uh, Vooch has been a target at times. He's not a great rim protector. He's okay, but he's not great. Levine mm -hmm. has had plenty of moments where you just go, what are you doing out there on the defensive end? Lonzo's great. Alex Crusoe's great. Of course, they're playing the preseason without Patrick Williams. It looks like he'll be ready to start the season with this ankle injury. So that's one of their better defensive guys. But has have any of the... And again, it's against a Cavs team who would who are terrible and a Pelicans team who had nobody out there. We're in the middle of their third right. game against the Cavs here at the moment as we're recording this. So has there been any any worry? Have you seen anything where you go, oh, that wasn't good defensively? Because we can say, oh, they look great defensively, but we know the level of opposition. But I guess the more telling thing is against these bad teams, has there been anything right. where you've gone, yeah, that's, that's not looking good. And I hate to see when they go up against um, Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Right, and that's a fair point, Josh, because I think Bulls fans so far have been pleasantly surprised by how good the defense looks. But again, it's against a Cavs team that has a lot to figure out. Uh, you know, Colin Sexton looked bad in that first game. Yeah. You know, we're, we're watching, as you said, the, the, the Bulls-Cavs rematch while we're recording this right now. But the, the thing that I have been um, encouraged by is that Billy Donovan knows especially until Patrick Williams comes back when it comes to that starting lineup, especially they're going to be playing small, but Billy Donovan has experience playing with three guard lineups. He did it a lot in OKC. He likes to do that. And Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley in this offseason went out and not only the big splash additions like Lonzo and DeMar, but some of their other fringe signings, they added a lot of length and defense defensive capability with some of the other fringe signings guys like Caruso uh, and, and even Lonzo Ball who I think doesn't get enough credit for what he does disruptively on the defensive end and that leads to helping out Vooch because we all know that Vooch is going to be a 20 and 10 monster for you on the offensive end every night but what he has shown us so far in these preseason games is that 
Lonzo and Caruso's point of attack defense, which was a serious weakness for this Bulls team last season, is better in a way that when the Bulls play that drop coverage, Vooch's defensive deficiencies are less exposed. When you have capable point of attack defenders, perimeter defenders that are capable, it makes it easier on Vooch. So, you know, hopefully Patrick comes back uh, b- before the season starts and you get his defense back. But in the meantime, yes, the Bulls are giving up some size, but the activity on the defensive end and the length of all of those guys, you know, uh, Alizé Johnson active on the glass on both ends. Javante Green, who has surprisingly gotten the spot start in the spot of Patrick Williams, the guy's six four and he plays like he's seven feet tall. So I'm encouraged. And Billy Donovan actually led this Bulls team to a 12th overall finish in defensive rating last season in the NBA. And I think, yeah, you lost that young, you lost Daniel Tice, yeah. but I think there's more defensive talent on this season's roster than last season's. I know it's more of a concern than the offense, but so far I'm cautiously optimistic what we've seen from the Bulls defensively. You're right that adding Lonzo and Caruso a big defensive pluses in a second year of Patrick Williams and yeah, losing Thad and all that sort of stuff. That, that's, that's all true. The, the worry I have is that how big of a negative DeRozan can be on that end might actually offset. Like you can say, well, we've got better defensive talent, but he also added one of literally the worst defenders in the NBA mm-hmm. and trying to hide him along with two other subpar guys. It can be a problem. We haven't really seen it be a huge issue so far, but that's still the, the issue. But again, at least when you're going up against you know Dylan Windler, um, has, he hasn't been necessarily lighting you up. You can go, oh, that's a good sign. Because if that had happened, that's, that's like that same right. idea of when you head to summer league. Like if a third-year player is not looking great, if they look actively bad, then you go, well, that's a worry. Because, you know, good good performances in Summer League are uh, uh, things that happen all the time. But if you should be looking good and you're not, that's a problem. So if you are looking terrible against a, a bunch of bad players, that can be a concern. But we haven't seen that. So that's great. So we'll ask question for you, Matt. Do Bulls fans, do they change their... not Because, again, they're, they're putting up, like, prior to this game, putting up, like, historic type of net rating differentials, which historically has translated pretty well to the regular season. Do Bulls fans go, mm. well, instead of being a team that we want to push for the play-in or push for the playoffs, is are they changing expectations to be like, well, maybe could we be a top four seed? Could we, could we get into a home court advantage situation? I mean, I'll tell you this, Josh. When the Bulls added Lonzo and DeMar in the span of the first few days of free agency, they were already talking <laughs> about true. a top four seed because Bulls fans are going to be Bulls fans. Personally, I have been tempering my expectations, but I I mean, I I think the fair expectation for this team now is avoid the play-in. I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in the Eastern Conference. Kyrie might not play in any of the Brooklyn Nets homes games. We don't know what's going to happen with Simmons in Philadelphia. Uh, You know, what's Boston going to be running it back with Tatum and Jalen Brown and, and Smart after the Kemba experience didn't work out? There's a lot of, like, can Atlanta reproduce what they did last season? Can the Knicks reproduce what they did last season? The Knicks were a super surprise as a four seed. But I think given all of that and how uncertain the way that the East unfolds beyond Brooklyn and Milwaukee, it's fair to put the expectation at get at least that sixth seed and avoid the play-in. Because remember, if it weren't for Zach Levine going out into health and safety protocols for a dozen games down the stretch of last season – the Bulls probably would have been in the play-in already. And you added so much talent compared to what the roster was last season. So I, I'm not I'm not penciling in a top four seed. It's not impossible, but but what I would like them to see uh, uh, accomplish is at least the sixth seed and avoiding that play-in tournament. 
It's going to be really interesting. One of the most intriguing teams to watch for this upcoming season, Matt. And you and Dave will have that covered for us all over on the Locked On Bulls podcast. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, Josh. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And you can also find us over on YouTube. So go find it, Locked On NBA over there. Plus, whatever your favorite team is, we have got a show to cover that. Guys, I am on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and I host Locked On Fantasy Basketball. So check me out over there, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.